Uh, If you would, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 7. I'm going to read from Acts, chapter 7, verse 54, through Acts, chapter 8, verse 8. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, that is, Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is the word of the Lord. Let's open in prayer. Father God, we are grateful for the privilege that it is to look into your word together. We're grateful for this day. We're grateful for this place and for this ministry. We're grateful for NEBC. And uh, we just ask you now to uh, open our eyes afresh as we look at your scripture. Uh, May we be made more and more like Jesus through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like you all to think back with me seven months ago. Seven months ago. Today is September 8th, so seven months ago was February 8th. So let me tell you a little bit about February 8th. Uh, it was a Saturday. It was the peak of winter. It was pretty cold out here in Bennington. I looked it up, actually, and there was a high temperature of 20 degrees. Nice and uh, nice, uh, a balmy winter day. Um, it was hot in South Carolina. Many of us in in Vermont were longing to be down in a place like South Carolina. Uh, We were looking forward to uh, summer vacations. We were looking forward to family reunions. We were looking forward to spending time with family around a campfire, roasting some tasty s'mores, and swimming in a nice blue, crisp lake. Uh, We we were looking forward to a time that uh, was beautiful weather. We were looking forward to a day when we'd be able to enjoy ourselves. In early February, uh, we were only a few weeks into the spring semester. So if we think about that, a lot of the graduating seniors uh, were still fresh in their semester. They, they were excited about what was to come, excited about finishing out their last semester with friends, uh, looking forward to graduation, and in many cases, looking forward to a pretty decent job market. Uh, back at the beginning of February, our stock market was at all-time highs. Uh, the job market looked, honestly, quite great. Um, the economy was booming, and finding a job would be easy, wouldn't it? Well, back in the beginning of February, if you said the words COVID-19, people would look at you with a rather funny face. They'd say, what are you talking about? 
we, we had heard of something called uh, a coronavirus, but at the time we didn't know of it more than that. We hadn't even thought of the words COVID-19 yet. Um, if we uh, took ourselves seven months ago and transported ourselves right here today, we, we'd look around this room and say, what in the world happened over these last seven months? I mean, we'd look at each other and we'd say, why is everybody wearing a mask? What's up with that? We'd look around and say, what happened to the rest of the chairs? Uh, we'd wonder about all different things. Why was there a toilet paper shortage? Who ever thought of something like that? <laughs> we'd wonder why, uh, when we go to the grocery store, we have to ration cleaning, cleaning supplies. Uh, you can only get one, one item each. Um, so much has changed and so much is so different than we thought at the beginning of the year. And with everything that's happened in our country and in the world over the last few months, uh, my attention has been repeatedly turned back to this chapter, uh, end of chapter 7 and beginning of chapter 8 in the book of Acts. And I've been encouraged uh, by, by what the Lord has uh, really taught me through this passage. And it, it's a very simple, but I believe impactful truth um, that I, I just want to share with you today. So if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down one statement. And this one statement is what we're going to keep returning to throughout our time together. The statement is this, God uses the unexpected to accomplish the expected. God uses the unexpected to accomplish the expected. Let me explain this a bit. From this passage, uh, we're going to see that God uses unexpected, unwanted, undesired, painful, uh, difficult trials to bring about his good and his pleasing purpose. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, we see that God uses the stoning of Stephen and the persecution of Christians uh, to bring about the spread of the gospel to regions that otherwise never would have heard the good news of Christ. And as I've looked at this passage and studied it, I can't help but think how comparable that is to our situation today. We look at all the unexpected situations going on, and we say, God, how are you working through this? I just want to encourage you from this passage, God is at work, and we can trust him in the midst of these times. If, if you would, again, turn back to uh, Acts chapter 7, and as you're turning there, I just want to give you a, uh, I'd say, a spark note summary of the first few chapters of Acts, just a broad overview so that we can know uh, the context into which we find ourselves. And many of you are familiar with this, but in Acts chapter 1, Jesus appears to his disciples for one final time. We read about his commission to them. We read about his ascension. We read about the command of where they're to stay and where they're to go. In Acts chapters 2, 3, and 4, we read about a whole lot of uh, miraculous events. We read about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, uh, the beginnings of the early church. We read incredible stories about 3,000 people being saved in, in a single day after a single sermon. We read really incredible things are going on. The church is excited. And we look back at those times. We look back at the first couple chapters of the book of Acts, and we, we sort of long for those days. We say, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if the church was like the early church. Things are going well. There's an enthusiasm and an excitement about what is to come. On Acts chapters 5 and 6, we begin to read about some difficulties. We read about the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, uh, the arrest of the apostles. But yet in the midst of these difficult things and these beginning, uh, beginning difficult times, we also read inspiring and bold statements by, by Peter. For instance, we must obey God rather than men in chapter 5. In this passage, in 5 and 6, we see the first deacons are selected to serve the church. Things are still going pretty well. If, 
if we look at these first few chapters of the book of Acts, we see that there's very much an incredible situation. These people are excited, and they're ready to go reach the world for Jesus. And as we think back, we, we really wish, oh, wouldn't it be nice if our church was like that? Wouldn't it be nice if our church was like the early church where things are going so, so well? And then we get to chapter 7. And when we get to chapter 7 of Acts, things really do begin to shift quite a bit. And rather than good thing happening after good thing happening after exciting thing happening, we begin to step back and we say, wow, there's going to be some pretty difficult, some pretty bad things that are going on. That's what we find in chapter 7. As you're, uh, again, looking there, um, most of you are probably somewhat familiar with the speech that Stephen gives in the beginning of chapter 7 up until uh, verse 54. Stephen gives this speech. He recounts God's working and uh, throughout redemption history, how God worked beginning in Genesis all the way through the ages up to the present time. And the religious leaders don't exactly like his speech as we've already seen when we read it. And they get very upset about it. So what I want to do again, I'm going to read verse 54 to 60, and then I want us to make some comments on this section here. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here we read about the first Christian martyr. So Although it's true that there had been threats up to this point, we do look back at the previous chapters and we do see uh, the apostles are arrested. They've been on trial before in chapter 4. We read about different threats throughout 4 and 5. And even Stephen had been seized end of chapter 6, but really nothing like this. What we have here is the beginning of a major paradigm shift and a major transition in the life of the church. And what stands out to me perhaps most about this whole passage right at the beginning here is that as we look back, we often long for the good old days of those first few chapters. But yet what's interesting is we really cannot have those first few chapters without 7 and 8. When we long for a unified church where thousands come to Christ uh, after a single sermon, where believers share everything, have everything in common, where everybody's unified, those are, those are awesome things, and we, we look for them and we long for them. But at the same time, as we're, as we're anticipating those things, do we realize what comes immediately after that? So as much as we long for the early church, do we, do we long for the results of what happens to the early church? And probably in most cases, we don't. Notice verse 54. Now, when they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. When I read this, I think about a dog, a dog uh, snarling, sort of getting right up all in your face and getting, um, uh, getting rather upset. And I asked Tripper to put two pictures up on the screen. First one, uh, he's going to show you. Th- this is, one of these is our dog. Umi is her name. She's a, a friendly, friendly Samoyed. Um, this is about a year ago, and my parents have her sister. Now, when you just look at them both individually, they're the, the cutest looking dogs, I think. But then, all of a sudden, when you see them start to play, Tripper, they look something a little bit more like this. <laughs> and uh, these beautiful little angels turn into these little monsters. 
and uh, they're, they're snarling, and they're, they're all upset with each other. This is kind of what I think about with this passage. These guys look great, these religious leaders. Externally, they're, they're, they really look um, all put together and very, very uh, pleasant. They're all set. But then when, when you see what happens, when, when they see Stephen and they hear his speech, this is exactly what happens. They start, <laughs> start snarling at him. Um, they're, they're livid. They're, they're ready to kill. Uh, anyway, uh, then as we look at the, the verses right after this, look, look at what happens. Look at the response that Stephen gives to this uh, situation. Verse 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So look, look at the contrast with which Stephen responds. He responds to this situation that's really, really terrible. And what does he respond with? He responds with grace conviction with the response of Jesus. He models Christ to those who are persecuting him. Uh, that only makes these people more upset, though, and you see that in the following verses, 57 and 58. Uh, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. It sounds like a little kid. They stopped their ears and rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Really, the situation is turning from bad to worse, obviously. But look then still how... Uh, how Stephen responds here. And, and, and as he responds, remember back in, in the book of Luke, chapter 23, how Jesus responds when he's being unjustly killed. He, he calls out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen surely picks up that same idea, and he follows Jesus' example right until the end. Verse 60, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Uh, what's so intriguing about this passage is that even if we can live out the gospel perfectly, even if we can be the very, very best, even, even if we can model Christ's humility and his willingness to surrender himself to God's plan right up until the end, look at what the results are here. They're not exactly great results. Stephen dies because of this, but he follows Christ right up until the end. What I think this passage is showing us in a lot of ways is we're called to follow Christ no matter what. Even as the circumstances shift, we're still called to follow Christ. Um, as we look back through history, what happened to Stephen is not unique to him. It happened to many, many people as they followed Christ. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Well, the single execution leads to a very large-scale persecution. Stephen's death, it becomes, again, a sort of catalyst uh, that scatters the believers throughout Judea and Samaria. I want to ask you, though, when are some other times when we've heard the names Judea and Samaria? Acts 1. Good. We, we think back to uh, Acts chapter 1. If you would, I want you just to turn there for a moment, because this is a, a key passage that sets the stage for Acts chapter 8. Good. Uh, verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that, uh, that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's, what's interesting um, and what's fascinating about this commission is it's, it's less of a command and it's more of a foreshadowing or a prophecy. 
As we look at this passage, you'll notice it's not an imperative here. It's not a command, you are going to go do this, but it's saying really what's, what's the result of what's going to happen. Uh, it's, it's a future verb. It's not merely go work on this, take the gospel to all those around. It's not like the command that we read in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. Go to all nations, make disciples. That, that's a strict command. That's not what we have here, which is rather interesting that it's a bit different. Uh, basically, you could summarize it in saying, Jesus is saying, this is going to happen you can participate, you can take part in this. And I want you to notice uh, the two places that are mentioned, Judea and Samaria. And what's rather interesting about the book of Acts is that up until chapter 8, we read a lot about what's happening in Jerusalem. We read all these different incredible things that are going on, but it's not until Acts chapter 8 that Judea and Samaria are really mentioned at all again. So all the ministry is going on to Jerusalem, but then all of a sudden something shifts. And what I find so interesting about this is that the means that God uses to accomplish the, the expected outcome of the gospel spread to Judea and Samaria is the unexpected persecution of the church. In other words, God uses, he uses the unexpected to accomplish the expected. In this case, God uses persecution. That's how the gospel spreads. God uses the unexpected trial to accomplish the expected goal. And now this blows my mind, because if I am Peter, or if I'm John, or if I'm James, if I'm one of the apostles, I'm going to try to do things a little bit differently. I'm not going to plan for persecution to come. See, if I'm one of the apostles, I'm going to be very strategic. I'm going to say, okay, we just had 3,000 people accept, accept Jesus in a single day. Awesome. Let's begin to establish some schools. Let's get some missions agencies going on. Let's set up a church planting network. We're going to try to do all these things, get everything lined up, and that, surely that's going to be how the Lord is going to use us to reach Judea and Samaria. But yet God turns it all on its head, doesn't he? Rather than all of these perfect plans that the people could have, he switches it all around and says, no, no, no. God's going to use his own plan to accomplish uh, this, this well, use an unexpected plan to accomplish this expected goal. He uses something that I'd honestly consider a tragedy uh, to accomplish this goal. If you look at Acts chapter 2, Acts, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Acts uh, chapter 8, we'll look at chapter 8, verse 2. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. See, when I read this verse, it's so, so clear that this is not the plan that the early church had. They hadn't expected this to be the outcome. They hadn't expected that this would be the way uh, that Judea and Samaria would be reached. We see that further in uh, verse 3. Uh, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Again, Saul at this point, and not, not a Christian at this point, he's ravaging the church. He's dragging out men, sending them all to prison. Is it because they committed some a terrible crime? No, it's because they trust in Jesus. And see, um, there's no way this is part of the plan to reach Judea and Samaria. As I read these verses, I just can't help think of our situation today. And we're not in a situation where somebody is dragging us out of, out of our homes, sending us to prison. That, that's not the point. But I do think that 2020 has not gone according to, way, to the way that any of us have dreamed or any of us have anticipated we think of COVID and, and, and quarantines and protests and civil unrest and economic recession. We read about people dying and losing their jobs and losing their homes. Uh, Christians, especially out west, not even being able to meet in church without being fined. 
And I think back to late 2019. And I remember all the talk about how great the year 2020 was going to be. People said it was going to be the roaring 20s. Uh, ministry has said we need to have 2020 vision. How did that work out for us? Um, strategies were put in place. Plans were established and goals were organized. It was all the rage to talk about what would happen in the coming year, how, how great God was going to work through our goals and accomplish our objectives. It didn't really turn out the way we had anticipated it. At, at in college, we often talk about five-year plans. What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? Where do you see yourself being in five years? I, I heard it said a couple of different times, nobody's five-year plan was correct. Everybody's five-year plan was way off. Nobody anticipated being stuck in home and having to work from home for, for several months. Everything's changed. I think of, for, for myself, for uh, Allie and our son Ransom. Now, Ransom was born back in November. And we had so many plans over the summer to go visit family uh, in different parts of the country, uh, take him out, get to go meet family and friends, how many of those trips happened? Um, not many. Not many at all. Um, we joke and we say that for the first few months of Ransom's life, by the time he was you know, ready to start meeting people <laughs> uh, this spring, he, he, the only people he knew were basically us. The only people he had met were either through Zoom, through a screen, or through a mask. Um, nothing uh, went as we had anticipated. But what I find so encouraging about this passage is that although nothing happened according to plan and nothing happened in the way that was anticipated and expected, God still worked in a way that brought about his promised outcome. The gospel still went forth to Judea and Samaria. Jesus' commission was still realized, and this didn't happen accidentally. It was these unexpected events, this persecution in this case, that was the very means by which God accomplished these ends. You know, I, I can't think... I can't help but think if that might be the case for us today. Although in 2020, not much is happening according to plan, could it be that God is working behind the scenes in some amazing and unexpected ways to bring about plans that we couldn't have dreamed of that are far better than we ever could have expected? Um, what we can rejoice in is the fact that the, the church that Christ is building, he says the very gates of hell cannot prevail against. And so God's still building his church even during these strange days. I hear stories uh, from, from several of you NEBC students of how you're able to share the gospel in all these unexpected different ways. And over the last few weeks and months, several of you have said that you've been able to actually see people make professions of faith in Christ. And I rejoice with you in that because think about how God is using these current circumstances to draw specific people unto himself. Although things are certainly strange and they're certainly not the way we'd hope, God is still distinctly at work and distinctly using each of us here. Uh, if you'd turn uh, to just the following verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them uh, the Christ. Well, what happened when the circumstances prohibited the believers from staying together? Uh, it says right here, the, the word of God was preached. The message of salvation was proclaimed. People who otherwise would not have heard the gospel message were able to hear the message of Christ. Look at verse 4 again. Notice the word scattered. We saw that word also in verse 1 above. And it's a rather interesting um, word here. We, we often talk about uh, the diaspora Jews. It's the same word there. The diaspora Jews were just the Jews who were scattered around the Roman Empire during this era. It's the scattering. The same word, is, it carries this imagery of a farmer scattering seed on the ground. He kind of takes a seed and throws it rather frivolously 
expecting something great to come of it. It's the same word that's used here, which is kind of intriguing. There's the scattering. And although the persecution and although the, the, the religious elite who are persecuting the believers, they're the ones doing the scattering in one sense. God's using it so very powerfully to accomplish his goals. At the end of the day, it's credited back to God. God is doing the scattering. God is sending his people to Judea and Samaria. He is using his people to build his church. And it's just so incredible to see how this, again, works. God uses this unexpected trial to accomplish his expected goal and his expected purpose. If you look at uh, verses 6 to 7, it says, And the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. But when I read this, I can't help but wonder and to look at the difference between this speech. We don't, we don't have Philip's speech recorded here, but Philip must have talked. He must have given some sort of a message to those who are believing in him, believing in Christ through him. I want you to compare that with Stephen's speech. Now, we have Stephen's speech in the text, uh, but if you turn back your Bible, uh, and your Bible just one page, to chapter 6, I want you to notice something. Chapter 6 is where the first set of deacons are, are selected. Look at 6, verse 3 and following. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose uh, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Look at who the next guy is. Philip. And it goes on from there, lists a handful of others. But isn't it intriguing that these two guys, we see Stephen and Philip, the first two deacons that are listed at all. Look at how, how opposite the results of their faithfully preaching the message of, of Christ. Look at the results. Stephen gets up and he preaches this message. He's full of the Spirit. God powerfully works through him. And what happens? He dies. He gets killed. And a huge persecution breaks out because of it. Then you look at Philip, and he does the same exact thing. He faithfully proclaims the message of Christ. And what happens? God powerfully works and brings about many people to know him. It's just so intriguing to look at this. Stephen as the first deacon, a Philip as the second. And I think it's important because I think it's intentional on the part of the author of Acts. He's juxtaposing. He's putting these, these two individuals side by side to really bring out the differences. We have Stephen and we have Philip. Both lived by faith. God used both, yet in completely different ways. And what's interesting to think about is the fact that Philip would never have been able to preach and been used by God had it not been for Stephen. It's only because of what happened with Stephen that Philip was then able to come onto the scene and proclaim the message of Christ and see incredible results come about through it. Both men served faithfully, yet both saw very, very different results. And as I think about this, might that not be the case for many of us? Some of us are going to live our lives faithfully serving Christ, and we're not going to see many results. We're just going to keep going on day by day, living faithfully serving Christ, doing the best we can. And now much seems to happen. And then others of us are going to live day by day faithfully, and we're going to see incredible things happen. And everywhere in between. What this passage, I think, is a call to do, and I know it's not the main point of this passage, but I think we can glean it from this passage. Live by faith and leave the results up to Christ. Keep, keep serving faithfully. And look, look at the final verse here. Chapter 8, verse 8. It's a quick verse, but it's, it's a good one. 
So there was much joy in that city. Well, what I find rather amazing is, is comparing verse 8 with verse 2. Look at verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And then verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Look at how, how opposite these situations are. But yet it's so interesting that it's only through this great limitation, only through this great pain, that this great joy bursts forth. God's at work through the midst of this lamentation, through this pain, bringing about his good and his pleasing purposes. And again, we look at um, verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. What city is this? Samaria. It's the same exact place that Jesus had said, you'll be my witnesses there. So again, God's working through all of this in such unexpected ways to bring out such an incredible result that we stand back and we say, wow, that's just pretty awesome what the Lord has done. God, again, clearly uses the unexpected, uh, the unexpected killing of Stephen, the unexpected persecution of the church to accomplish the very thing that he had promised. Oh, what does this all matter for us today? You know, we read through this passage and we look at these different instances and these different historical events that happened years ago. What difference does it actually make for us? Well, let me ask you, what are you experiencing today that you might say is unexpected and unwanted? What's going on in your own life that you say, you know, I just really don't like this. This is painful. This is difficult. I wish this wasn't the case. I had such great plans to serve Christ in a totally different way. And for some of you, it might be related to COVID. Perhaps some of you, it might be related to family issues or uh, just economic issues, financial struggles. I know enough of you to know that for each of you, it's, it's probably different. But what's so fascinating and so encouraging about this passage is that God is using, God is at work using each of these different circumstances, each of our unique situations to bring about his expected outcome, to use us each individually to bring glory to Christ. Well, one of my favorite things about living here in Vermont is the view. And I'm sure many of you can relate. There's nothing like uh, driving out and seeing the incredible mountains uh, that just shoot up off the side of the highway. We, love it. Uh, we live up in Arlington, and we drive down Route 7 every, every morning. And few mornings go by when, when I don't look at those mountains and say, God has placed me in a beautiful part of this country. We look at, um, we look at, the, at the mountains in the spring and they're beautiful, and they're lit up with a bright green gleam. They look incredible. We come to the summer, which I'm sure is most of our favorite time of the year. We get to be outside. We look at the beautiful foliage. Uh, and then we come to the, the fall, and we see the trees lit up, bright yellows, bright reds, bright oranges, really incredible. Then we come to the winter, and it takes on a whole new beauty. Uh, we see just the glistening trees. We see the snow. We see the ice on them, and it's just marvelous. Have you ever lost track and forgot about the mountains? I know I have. When I'm not focusing on the mountains, when I've got something else on my mind, it's very easy to, to drive that route, drive Route 7, and not think about a single mountain. I've got something else on my mind. A lot of times, it, it can even go on for a couple days. Perhaps it's a week or so. You just you don't think about the view. I know the, there's been a few times where we've left and we've gone out of state, and all of a sudden, we get to a place where there's no more mountains. And we look out and say, what happened? How can people live here? Where are all the mountains? And it's not until you leave where, where your focus has just shifted ever so that you say, wow, you know, those mountains really are incredible. The, re the reason I share that is because I think it's the same thing with, with 
God being at work behind the scenes in all of our situations. It is so easy to get bogged down and go day by day and say, you know, I, I, just, I lose focus on what God's doing. I know for myself, it is so easy with everything that's going on in this country to be glued to my phone following the news, to be glued to the, to the computer seeing what's happening next. What I want to encourage each of us to do, while, while we're here at NEBC, while we're here in Vermont, we can say never lose sight of the mountains. What I want to encourage each of you to do is not lose sight of the fact that in the midst of these unexpected situations, God is at work, and God is, God is doing something great, and God will do something great. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Father God, we are grateful just for the privilege of knowing you, and we're grateful that uh, we can rejoice uh, that you are at work in each of our lives. You're at work in our lives individually and corporately. And Father, we ask you just to help us to uh, focus on you and remember afresh uh, your goodness, uh, even in the midst of difficulties. In your name we pray. Amen.